The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 1, The Feast of Pikes, Chapter 1, In the Tuileries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Peter Dan. Book 1, Chapter 1, In the Tuileries. The victim having once got his stroke of grace, the catastrophe can be considered as almost come. There is small interest now in watching his long, low moans. Notable only are his sharper agonies, what convulsive struggles he may take to cast the torture off from him, and then, finally, the last departure of life itself, and how he lies extinct and ended, either wrapped like Caesar in decorous mantle folds, or unseemly sunk together like one that had not the force even to die. Was French royalty, when wrenched forth from its tapestries in that fashion on the 6th of October, 1789, such a victim? Universal France and royal proclamation to all the provinces answers anxiously, no. Nevertheless, one may fear the worst. Royalty was beforehand so decrepit, moribund, there is little life in it to heal an injury. How much of its strength, which was of the imagination merely, has fled, rascality having looked plainly in the king's face and not died. When the assembled crows can pluck up their scarecrow and say to it, Here shalt thou stand and not there, and can treat with it and make it from an infinite, a quite finite constitutional scarecrow, what is to be looked for? Not in the finite constitutional scarecrow, but in what still unmeasured infinite-seeming force may rally round it. Is there thenceforth any hope? For it is most true that all available authority is mystic in its conditions, and comes by the grace of God. Cheerfuller than watching the death struggles of royalism will it be to watch the growth and gamblings of Sanscolotism. For in human things, especially in human society, all death is but a death-birth. Thus, if the sceptre is departing from Louis, it is only that in other forms other sceptres, where it even pike sceptres, may bear sway. In a prurient element, rich with nutritive influences, we shall find that sanscolotism grows lustily and even frisks in not ungraceful sport. As indeed most young creatures are sportful. Nay, may it not be noted further that as the grown cat and cat species generally is the cruelest thing known, so the merriest is precisely the kitten, or growing cat. But fancy the royal family risen from its truckle beds on the morrow of that mad day. Fancy the municipal inquiry, how would your majesty please to lodge? And then that the king's rough answer, each made lodge as he can, I am well enough, is congeed and bowed away in expressive grins by the town hall functionaries with obsequious upholsterers at their back and how the chateau of the Tuileries is repainted, regarnished into a golden royal residence, and Lafayette with his blue National Guards lies encompassing it, as blue Neptune, in the language of poets, does an island wooingly. Thither may the wrecks of rehabilitated loyalty gather, if it will become constitutional, for constitutionalism thinks no evil, since Colotism itself rejoices in the king's countenance. 
the rubbish of a menadic insurrection, as in this ever-kindly world all rubbish can and must be, is swept aside. And so again, on clear arena, under new conditions, with something even of a new stateliness, we begin a new course of action. Arthur Young has witnessed the strangest scene. Majesty walking unattended in the Tuileries gardens, and miscellaneous trickler crowds who cheer it and reverently make way for it. The very Queen commands at lowest respectful silence, regretful avoidance. Simple ducks in those royal waters quackle for crumbs from young royal fingers. The little dauphin has a little railed garden where he is seen delving with ruddy cheeks and flaxen curled hair. Also a little hutch to put his tools in and screen himself against showers. What peaceable simplicity! Is it peace of a father restored to his children, or of a taskmaster who has lost his whip? Lafayette and the municipality and universal constitutionalism assert the former, and do what is in them to realise it. Such patriotism as snarls dangerously and shows teeth, patrolatism shall suppress. Or, far better, royalty shall soothe down the angry hair of it by gentle pattings, and most effectual of all by fuller diet. Yes, not only shall Paris be fed, but the king's hand be seen in that work. The household goods of the poor shall, up to a certain amount, by royal bounty, be disengaged from pawn, and that insatiable Montepiete disgorge rides in the city where the vivelua need not fail, and so, by substance and show, shall royalty, if man's art can popularise it, be popularised. Or, alas, is it neither restored father nor diswhipped taskmaster that walks there, but an anomalous complex of both these, and of innumerable other heterogeneities, reducible to no rubric, if not to this newly devised one, King Louis, restorer of French liberty. Man, indeed, and King Louis, like other men, lives in this world to make rules out of the ruleless. By his living energy he shall force the absurd itself to become less absurd. But then, if there be no living energy, living passivity only, King Serpent, hurled into his unexpected watery dominion, did at least bite and assert credibly that he was there. But as for the poor King Log, tumbled hither and thither, as thousandfold chance and other will than his might direct, how happy for him that he was indeed wooden and doing nothing, could also see and suffer nothing. It is a distracted business. For his French majesty, meanwhile, one of the worst things is that he can get no hunting. Alas, no hunting henceforth, only a fatal being hunted. Scarcely in the next June weeks shall he taste again the joys of the game destroyer. In next June, and never more. He sends for his smith tools, gives in the course of the day, official or ceremonial business being entered, a few strokes of the file, quelques coup de lime. Innocent brother mortal, why wert thou not an obscure, substantial maker of locks, but doomed in that other far-seen craft to be a maker only of world follies, unrealities, things self-destructive which no mortal hammering could rivet into coherence? 
Poor Louis is not without insight, nor even without the elements of will, some sharpness of temper spurting at times from a stagnating character. If harmless inertness could save him, it were well, but he will slumber and painfully dream, and to do aught is not given him. Royalist antiquarians still show the rooms where majesty and sweet in these extraordinary circumstances had their lodging. Here sat the Queen reading, for she had her library brought hither, though the King refused his, taking vehement counsel of the vehement uncounselled, sorrowing over altered times, yet with sure hope of better. In her young rosy boy has she not the living emblem of hope? It is a murky, working sky, yet with golden gleams of dawn or of deeper meteoric night. Here again this chamber, on the other side of the main entrance, was the king's. Here his majesty breakfasted and did official work. Here, daily after breakfast, he received the queen, sometimes in pathetic friendliness, sometimes in human sulkiness, for flesh is weak and when questioned about business would answer, Madame, your business is with the children. Nay, sire, were it not better you, your majesty's self, took the children? So asks impartial history, scornful that the thicker vessel was not also the stronger, pity struck for the porcelain clay of humanity rather than for the tile clay, though indeed both were broken. So, however, in this Medicean Tuileries shall the French king and queen now sit for one and forty months and see a wild fermenting France work out its own destiny and theirs. Months bleak, ungenial, of rapid vicissitude, yet with a mild, pale splendour here and there, as of an April that were leading to leafiest summer, as of an October that led only to everlasting frost. Medicean Tuileries, how changed since it was a peaceful tile-field! Or is the ground itself fate-stricken, accursed, an atria's palace, for that louvre window is still nigh, out of which a caput, whipped of the furies, fired his signal of the Saint Bartholomew? Dark is the way of the eternal, as mirrored in this world of time. God's way is in the sea, and his path in the great deep. End of Book 1, Chapter 1